If we could get the lights up so I could see your beautiful faces. Look, there are people in the room today. And all of you had to sit on the front row because there was no other place to sit. This is like your worst nightmare, isn't it, Thad? It's not? Okay, wait, just wait. We'll see if we can work on that. Hey, we are going to be continuing this morning Reunion Tour 2020, which is our look back at some Bible stories that we have been, uh, most of us have heard our whole lives as children. If you grew up in the church, you've heard the stories that we're going to talk about, but um, there's something about going back and revisiting them and, and asking God to show you some new things in the context of what's going on in the world today. And so that's what we're going to be trying to accomplish in the next few minutes this morning. And we're going to be in the book of Genesis, and uh, we're going to be talking about the story of Joseph, um, the, jo- the story of Joseph, and particularly the story of Joseph's, Joseph's relationships with his brothers, okay? So we're going to be talking family dynamics here, okay? For some of you who might feel like you are the only person in the world that has a jacked up family experience, we're going to figure out that, no, this is way back in the day, as long as there are people involved. It's always been that way. The, the story fascinates me, and every time I go back and read it, I, I see something different. Um, in fact, the whole book of Genesis fascinates me. It's like, it's like reality TV that you can't stop watching because you can't believe that people really acted like this. Um, so the book of Genesis is 50 chapters long. It starts in chapter 1. So you don't get this deep theological stuff just everywhere, okay? Starts Genesis chapter 1, ends up in Genesis chapter 50. It starts Genesis chapter 1 with the creation story in the beginning, and then it ends with the death of Joseph, the guy that we're going to be talking about this morning. In fact, like the last third of the book from like chapter 37 on is the story of Joseph. And so you're thinking, Mark, you're going to talk about 13 chapters in one day, and we're going to not miss supper, even better, I'm going to talk about the whole book of Genesis, okay? Because I find this fascinating. As you read these stories, and I will list them here for you in a second, all of these stories in the book of Genesis happened before the law was ever given. Like God had not said, hey, this is what I want you to do. In fact, it starts in Genesis chapter 2 with one rule. One rule in the book of Genesis. What is it? What was the rule? Don't eat that fruit. This tree, stay away from this tree. Don't eat that fruit from that tree. That was in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. One rule by Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. They'd already broken that rule. One rule, couldn't keep that rule. Four verses later in Genesis 3.10, people are hiding from God because of their sin. It took four verses from breaking the rule to hiding, and people have never stopped hiding from God because of their sin. And truth is, maybe there's some of you in here that that are still hiding from God because of your sin. In the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, we get our first murderer. Anybody know who that is? Come on, Sunday school class. Cain. Cain kills his brother Abel because of what? Jealousy. Because God liked the offering of one more than the other. By Genesis chapter 6, we're only six chapters into the Bible, God is ready to just throw it all away. Just start over, 
wickedness had increased so much because men were just left to do what they wanted. They, did, they only had the one rule. That had already been broken. But yet, in the midst of that, it was possible for people to walk with God. It was possible because in Genesis chapter 6, when God's saying, I'm just going to wipe the whole thing out, he looks down and he sees Noah. Noah, was, it says he was righteous and he blameless and he walked with God. And so he tells Noah, build a boat. Noah takes like 100 years and builds a boat in the desert, gathers up a bunch of animals. You heard this story, right? That, that's right there in Genesis chapter 6. God does what he says. He sends a flood. He starts everything over. Fast forward about six chapters because there's some stuff in there, lineages and the Tower of Babel and stuff like that happened. But then in, in Genesis chapter 12, we meet the royal family of the faith. We meet the, the first family of the Old Testament. Now there were other families, but it, the main family was the family of Abraham, right? We meet Abram. And no law is given to Abram. No rules are given to Abram. Just a command. Two letters. Go. Abram's this old dude, and he's, he's living where he's living, and he's okay with that. And God just says, hey, Abram, go. Take your family and go to a land. I'll tell you on your way. And guess what? Abram went. Abram went. God changes his name to Abraham, and he makes a promise to him. See, Abram's this old guy, and he doesn't have any kids. And, and Abram as a vision, God comes and speaks to him and he says, Abram, this is what's going to happen. Your heir is going to be your son, your own son. By this time next year, you're going to have a son. And this is what the word of God says in Genesis 15. It says, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. Abraham is the father of our faith. You know what faith is? Believing God. Not understanding God. Some of you look around and you think, God, I don't understand any of the stuff that's going on. But do you believe God? Do you believe what God says to be true about God? Abraham believed God. He's the father of our faith. In Genesis 21, we meet that child, the child of promise. Isaac comes on the scene. And there's this incredible story in Genesis chapter 22 where, where right after, well, it's about 10 years, maybe 15 years after God gives Isaac to Abraham. Abraham gets another command. Go. This time, he says, go to Mount Moriah and bring your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love, and offer him to me. And Abraham did. He actually did it. And the story is this beautiful precursor to the story of Christ. When God would give his son as the sacrifice because Abraham did everything he was supposed to do and at the last moment, God provides a sacrifice as a ram is caught in the thicket. You guys, if you don't know that story, read that story. All these stories are in this one book. Why am I telling you this? Because these names ought to start ringing a bell. Abraham, Isaac. What's the next name in the lineage? Jacob. See, because Isaac grows up, okay, and he, he gets married to Rebecca, and they have twin boys, and the first one's kind of funny looking. 
He comes out all hairy and red. Poor old Esau. Man, one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture is the deal that Esau got because of Jacob, who was this conniving little sneak, a thief. But his mama liked him. He was a mama's boy. But guess who else liked him? God liked him. The Bible says in several places in Malachi, chapter, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What? God has favorites? What? And why would you pick this guy? Why Jacob? I mean, he stole Esau's birthright, his blessing. He, he, it should give you great hope today, people, that God would choose someone like Jacob. Because you know who Jacob's like? Most of us. Maybe all of us. I don't look in your mirror, okay? But I know the depths of my heart and what I'm capable of. And that God would would choose to lavish love on someone like me. Guys, you should never get over that. He modeled it for us in Jacob because Jacob was going to be the father of his chosen people. See, Jacob later becomes known as Israel. And the rest of the Old Testament is about the stories of his family and how jacked up they were. And how God would tell them one thing and they would do another. And they would shake their fist at God and they would build their own gods. And that's the rest of the Old Testament. But it all starts right here in the book of Genesis where there was no law. Just one word. When I tell you, go. That's what he told Abraham. That's what he told Isaac. That's what he told Jacob. Why am I talking about this? Because Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. So you got Abraham, you got Isaac, you got Jacob, and then you got Joseph, who was one of 12 children. One of 12. Anybody got a family that big here? There are people in our church that have a family that big. 12, I think... Christy's dad's one of 18 kids or something like that. I mean, yeah. How how, how is that even possible? 12 seems like a lot. Let me tell you a little about Jacob's family. Jacob, you know the story. It's also in Genesis. Jacob wants to marry Rachel, but he gets tricked into marrying his sister with weak eyes. And then has to work another seven years, but he does get to, to marry. But you got to keep the, you got to keep, you, gotta, you get Rachel, but you, you got to have Leah too, right? And so it kind of starts off on kind of this kind of weird foundation, but then they start having kids, and it becomes this kid having contest, okay? And so Leah is, is first up to bat, and she has Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah, and she's kind of gloating the whole time because Rachel can't have, she's not. She can't have kids. It's not that she can't. She doesn't have any kids. And so Rachel has this great idea. Well, here's my maidservant. Her name's Bilhah. Bilhah sounds like a big burly woman to me. I don't know. Bilhah. That's Bilhah. And she thinks it's a great idea. Hey, you take Bilhah as your wife so that she can have kids and like they'll be my kids. And Jacob is not the smartest guy because he goes along with this stuff. And Bilhah has Dan and Naphtali. But then Leah 
She says, well, I've got a maidservant too. And her name was Zilpah. Zilpah sounds like she would have a goatee. I don't know. It's just, I'm a picture person. I... So Leah's servant has two kids by Jacob, Gad and Asher. And then finally, God hears Rachel's prayers. And Rachel finally has a baby boy. And guess what his name is? Joseph. Jacob loved Rachel. We know that. We don't know that he loved any of these other women. But he loved Rachel. And when she finally had a baby, it was the youngest boy at the time. He was the favorite. He was the favorite. Rachel ends up having one more little boy named Benjamin, and she dies during childbirth. And so those 12 guys, and there was one daughter thrown in there too. Her name was Dinah. Those, those 12 guys become the chiefs of the tribes of Israel. And the, the rest of the Old Testament is built on stories about their family and how they war against each other, and they come together and they fight one another. It's kind of like a... Anybody watch Yellowstone? I've been, I've been hooked on this show. It's like, yeah, everybody hates everybody all the time and you can't trust him. It's like Dallas back in the day when I was growing up. That's what I see when I see this story. But what I want to talk about this morning is the interaction between these 12 brothers. Okay, that is the story of Joseph. And we pick it up in the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis. Are you still with me? Can you go back and recite all those stories and say how they all fit together? Just spend some time reading them, but do this for me, okay? Don't do them. You know, a lot of people say, hey, read the Bible and do what it says. Mm-mm. Do not try to repeat this stuff, okay? Go to the New Testament, repeat that stuff, okay? So Joseph, the favorite son, because he was born to Rachel, It's 17 years old. Joseph's 17 years old when this happens, okay? And we find out really quickly that Joseph's brothers didn't like him. We find out the first time in Genesis 37-2 when it says that he, bought, he brought a bad report about his brothers to his father. So he's a snitch, okay? It doesn't say that he was wrong in doing it, but evidently Joseph had a character or a conscience that was different from his brothers because whatever he saw them doing, he went back to his father and he told him about it. They didn't like that. It says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3 and 4, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of, the, of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they couldn't speak peacefully to him. So they hated him, number one, because he told on him, got him in trouble. Number two, they knew that their father loved him more than them. And they hated him for a third reason, because they thought that he was full of himself. Because he kind of was. But he had reason to be, because he had dreams where he saw things prophetically that came true. And when other people had dreams, we'd find out later that he could say, hey, you know that crazy dream that you had where so-and-so did so what? This is what it means. Except he wasn't making stuff up. He really had this gift. But look in verse 8 of chapter 37. After he's telling his brothers about one of these dreams, his brothers say this, 
Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Okay. Obviously, we get the idea. The brothers don't like Joseph. But you have brothers and sisters, some of you, don't you? Do you you always get along with your brothers and sisters? Seems like the bigger the family, the easier it is to find somebody to fight with because there's always someone around, right? You ever hang out at the Tharp home? It's like Langston's always ready to pound on somebody, right? I mean, but even in that, no matter how bad your situation with your family is, most of us, and I'm not saying all of us because I don't know where you came from. Some of you might have come from a family just like this. But most of the time, the first thought isn't, let's kill him. Let's, let's kill him slow. Let's, let's sell him into slavery. And then let's tell daddy he's dead. If that's where you came from, I'm sorry. There are therapists, okay? I'm not qualified, so don't bring it to me because I can't fix it, okay? But that is, how does that happen? But that's what happened right here. His brothers decide the best alternative is murder. Well, then one of them talks him out of it. Okay, we'll sell him into slavery, make daddy think he's dead. How could the hate escalate that much? There's something in here that that I think is pertinent to what's going on in the world today. Because remember I told you about Jacob and the four, the four ladies, Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah. What was this? I said I can't even, it's on the other page. They're all different mothers, right? One father. Same father, different mothers, jealousy and envy, and they start looking at the things that are different, and they start picking sides. See, we use the term sometimes, you're my brother from another mother, right? And it's a, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of brotherhood, fraternity. Here, they're saying, no, you're my brother, but you're from another mother. And we are not the same. We're not really family. We're just kind of family. And that's not family at all. I think that's what's happening here. See, because whenever we start focusing on what the differences that we have rather than what we have in common, it leads us to the slippery slope of drawing lines in the sand and picking sides and protecting what's yours and keeping, keeping the little man down and all the stuff that we've seen in our world today and have throughout the history of humanity. This is Genesis. It's... It's right in the very beginning, and this stuff is happening. See, envy and bad blood divide families. Some of the saddest things I have to do as a pastor is do funerals for families who haven't seen each other for years because they're dead to each other. But then the, the funeral brings them back together. And it never brings closure because it's too late. Because envy and jealousy, when people start fighting over people's stuff and, and feelings get hurt and people just decide to, wo- to walk away, guys, that leads to families divided. And I think 
this kind of mirrors what we see happen in the world today. We see, we see that it's not like it's new, but it's very evident. And right now, it's in your face, and we're supposed to respond correctly to it. See, I would say this. If I read my Bible correctly, we all have the same Father. Because I'm pretty sure, if you believe the biblical narrative, that our family trees all go back to Noah, right? I mean, it goes back farther than that to Adam, but I mean, we can go get closer in Noah, right? So, so our family trees are all connected. When the world got dispersed and cultures, people started living apart, it, we, people started look, di- looking differently, talking differently, adapting differently. But guys, we are all the same in Christ, right? We are the human race. Can we agree on that? If we, if we don't agree on that, then there's a lot we're not going to agree on. See, let me, let me break it down because I think a lot of times people think you have to apologize for the Bible or make, spin the Bible to where it doesn't say what it really says, okay? See, this is where preachers get in trouble. Anything I say, you can take and you can just pick a piece of it and say, well, you said that. Yeah, but that's not the only thing I said. What I'm, the God of the Old Testament is still God today. Can we agree on that? The God of the Old Testament is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yahweh, He's still Yahweh. Okay? But He doesn't react, interact with people in the Old Testament fashion anymore because He doesn't have to because He sent Jesus to pay a price that we could never pay. And so, yeah, the God of the Old Testament was the God of the Old Testament. He had favorites. We just talked about it. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. He picked Jacob's family out over everyone else in the world and said, I'm going to treat you better than everybody else. I'm going to wipe out other people groups for you. It's, just, it's not loving your neighbor. It's your neighbor's in your way, and I'm going to help you. That's the God of the Old Testament. He made a covenant relationship for a specific period of time with the nation of Israel. But here's what I want you to hear me say. This is why I said, don't go do these things. Because God didn't leave us there, thanks be to God, that because of Jesus, we don't have to live that way anymore. We shouldn't live that way anymore. The days of holy war are over. The days of holy war are over. Do you ever just watch the news about what's going on in the Middle East and you think, why do you guys keep blowing each other up? Like, I mean, guys, the days of holy war are over because of Jesus. Because this is what Jesus said. This is how I want you to treat your enemies. Well, how do you go to war with someone you're supposed to be loving? See, that is the way of the gospel. That's the way of the New Testament church. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the what? Whole world. Not just Jews. Colossians 3.11, In Christ there's no longer Jews or Greeks. Slave or free. We're all, Christ is all and in all. If Christ is in all, how can we treat people the way we treat them? Because of the way they look or their culture. People, let me just say, let me just say this. Racism in any form has no place in, in the church of the living God. No, 
No, no, you can't go back and cherry pick some Old Testament passage and, and justify behavior that does not glorify Christ. We can't do it. Yes, black lives matter. All lives matter. Humans matter. Jesus said, one, one command I'm giving you. Hey, enough rule. Love people the way I loved you, and it'll be okay. Guys, that is the gospel. And let us never forget, no matter what your end game is, because honestly, there are people, based on their background, that this stuff is so ingrained in people, even when they try to push it out, it bubbles up because it's what you learned growing up. And sometimes when, when people are like that, you know what happens? We resort to trying to protect our own, you know, and, and we try to say the right things, but when it comes down to it, we're still going to protect tribe here. That's not God's end game. You know what God's end game is? Look at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says this. It's a, it's a picture of heaven. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb. That's the culmination of God's redemptive story. It's people from every tribe and nation. Would that be our end game too? Maybe, maybe we could come to the point where the church leads out and saying, hey, we might have different mothers, but we all have the same father. And we're not sort of a family. We're not kind of a family. We are family, as Sister Sledge was saying it back in the day, okay? Nobody knows Sister Sledge? We are family. Somebody had to do it. All right. That's where you probably disagree. No, Mark, no one had to do it. Okay, so from this point forward, getting that rant out of, my, out of my system, okay, just so you know how I feel, I want to spend the time we have left talking about this relationship, this jacked-up family relationship between Joseph and his brothers, okay? So just to, to be clear, because maybe not everybody went to Sunday school, this is what happened to Joseph, his brothers, he's about 17. His brothers are out tending sheep. His, his dad says, go check on your brothers. And so he goes to check on them. And when they see him coming, they hate him so much, they decide they want to kill him. Not punish him, kill him. Reuben, the oldest brother, talks him out of killing him and said, let's just throw him in this pit. And then a caravan comes by on its way to Egypt. And they decide, no, let's sell him. And then let dad think he died. And so that's what they did. They sold him to this caravan of Ishmaelites and they're on their way to Egypt and they take Joseph's robe, the one of many colors, and they tear it up and they dip it in goat's blood and they take it and they just put it before, before Jacob and they don't say it, they just let him assume Jacob's dead. And they kind of think all is well and fast forward. Fast forward about 13 years, okay? Actually, it's going to be going fast forward about 20 years before they come back into the story. But see, this is what happens. Joseph shows up in Egypt, and he spends about 11 years as a slave in Potiphar's house. And 
God blessed the work of his hands and, and he, he was in charge of the whole house until Potiphar's wife noticed that he was a good-looking guy and started making advances that she should have never made and Joseph refuses, refuses, refuses until one day he runs out of the house because she had grabbed his robe and then she makes up a lie about him and says, he tried to rape me and they throw him in prison. He spends a couple of years in prison and the same thing happens. God blesses the work of his hand. We never hear about him complaining. He meets a couple of guys in prison as he's put in charge of all the prisoners. He meets a couple of prisoners that used to work for the king. And they were having dreams and, and he interpreted their dreams and he told them exactly what they meant and for one of them it was good and for one of them it was not good. And for the one that was good, the cupbearer of the king, Joseph said, okay, all I ask is that remember me when you get back to your job. The dude doesn't. Dude doesn't. He forgets about Joseph. A couple more years pass, and then Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, Joseph, that guy. Oh, yeah. I meant to tell you about him. And so they bring Joseph. He interprets the dream of the Pharaoh and it, it's about the, hist the future of the country of Egypt. There's going to be the seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Joseph tell, lays it all out, and they come up with a plan. I think I'll put you in charge, Joseph. And he becomes second in charge of the whole nation. Okay, so that's kind of the story. Seven years of plenty happen. Everything's rolling. Everything's blowing and going. And then the famine hits, and Egypt's the only place that has food. And Joseph's in charge of all of it. And guess who runs out of food? His family runs out of food, and they have to go to Joseph to buy food. They show up. They don't realize that's Joseph. Joseph knows that it's them. And he plays a few games with them. I mean, he makes them jump through a bunch of hoops. And, but ultimately, his desire is to be kind to his family. And when we get down to about the 45th chapter, it's the big reveal. It's the big reveal. J Joseph's trying to act like he's this, he's this guy that he's, he's, he's got evil in his heart for him, but he can't take it anymore. He reveals himself to him, and he has mercy on him. Okay, that's kind of, in a nutshell, that is the story of Joseph, okay? But I want to make a few observations about some things that the brothers did versus the things that Joseph did and why and how they did them, okay? Can we do that and then, then we'll be done, all right? It's hot up here, I'm telling you. Is my? Yes, it is, okay. See, the brothers, first thing I'd say about them, they're a great example of why God would decide to give us the law in the first place. Remember, no laws. No laws. They're just people doing what people do. And when people just do what people do and they don't have any God in them, it leads to a really bad place. Let me give you an example. Just a few. Okay? Just a few. Genesis 34, there's this story about Jacob's daughter, Dinah. Dinah gets, gets raped by, by the prince of this, this city that they're, they're living near. But then he says, no, I can't... I, I'd kind of like to marry her. And so that he comes to Jacob, this prince does, and asks for her hand, and everything goes crazy. 
Like they're all offended because they've dishonored her. Now they're wanting to marry her and they're wanting to take each other's families in marriage. And, and these, the sons, the brothers, they start scheming. They start scheming. They start lying. They, start, they negotiate this, this treaty kind of thing, this truce thing. So you want to marry, our, you want to marry my sister? Okay, this is what you're going to do. You all, you all have to be circumcised just like we are. Okay, that's, that's number one. Okay, and if you'll do that, then, then we'll consider it. They say, well, okay, we'll do it. And so every male in this city goes through that process. Horrifying to think about that, okay? Horrifying. Bunch of grown men going, you know what I'm saying. This is, uh, this is not figurative. Whole city of males going to that. These conniving, devious Israelites wait three days Till they're very, and this is from the Bible, sore, and then they slaughter. Two of the brothers, two of the brothers kill every male in the city. Waited till they couldn't fight back and then murdered them. And while they murdered them, all the rest of the brothers stole everything in the city. So right there in that one story, you have lying, deceit, murder, theft, Go forward a chapter. There's this one little phrase in Genesis 35 where it says something about Reuben taking a liking to Bilhah, one of Jacob's wives. That would be not honoring your father. That would be adultery. Right here in Genesis 37, we saw that what motivated the whole plot to sell Joseph into slavery was jealousy and envy, covetousness, Guys, in just those few examples, the Ten Commandments hadn't even been given yet. They, they wouldn't be given until Exodus chapter 20. They broke about six of them right there in, in those stories. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Because when you look, compare, contrast, Joseph, we don't have time to talk about all the specifics of how his character was and his integrity was just above reproach, but Look at all the things he didn't do. He didn't put other gods before his God. When Potiphar's wife was trying to tempt him, his response to her was this in Genesis 39, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In other words, I can't because of God. He did not commit adultery. He had repeated opportunities. He honored his father. He honored authorities. He, he worked as unto God he refused to lie when he interpreted those dreams. It didn't matter if it was good news or bad news. He just told the truth. Anybody here ever tempted to soften the truth a little bit sometimes? Like it's, if it's bad news, you don't want to be that person. And so you just don't tell the truth. That's lying. That's lying. That's not told. Joseph refused to lie. He didn't steal. He didn't covet other people's situations. Listen to me. Some of you have been dealt a horrible hand in life. Grew up in places that were just beyond comprehensible. Been in relationships that were beyond anything that I could ever imagine. I'm not trying to say that I understand. But when you look at the life of Joseph, his whole life was taken from him. And we never see him complain one time. 
You never see him look, around, look at his situation and start looking at other people's situation thinking, well, they've got a better deal than me. No, he just lived where he was. And it was beautiful. How did he do it? How, how did he do it? I think the answer we find just scattered, just like little breadcrumbs all through this. And this is great news for you, by the way. How did he do it? Genesis 39.2, the Lord was with Joseph. 39.21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Chapter 41, verse 16, and he's responding to Pharaoh saying, hey, can you interpret this dream? This is what Joseph said. It's not me. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Chapter 41, verse 38, Pharaoh's asking the question, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? How did he do it? The Spirit of God. Guess what? His other brothers didn't have that same spirit at work in them. But you do. Because of the cross, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit lives in you and you don't have to just be good. You just have to be in step with the Spirit. It's not about keeping those rules. It's about loving people the way that Jesus loved us because He is with us. The Word says the Lord was with Joseph. God is with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus brought God to us. And then when he left this earth, he said, I'm leaving so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, it's better for you if I go so he can come. Guys, God is with you. So in your circumstance, no matter what it is, it is possible for you to live like Joseph. It is possible for you to not have a bitter spirit about whatever it is in your life that God refuses to fix, or it's, it's, not, it's not a foregone conclusion that you have to keep succumbing to the same repetitive sin over and over and over again because of the Spirit of God in us. The first thing I, difference I see between these brothers and Joseph is God was with Joseph, and it made all the difference. The second thing, and it's the last one, the second thing that I think was different about the brothers and Joseph was their perspective or their agenda. You know what an agenda is, right? It's like the, the list of things that have to be accomplished. Well, the brothers' perspective about their circumstances was always about what was in it for them. Always. It's like, well... Dad likes Joseph better than us, so we got to get rid of Joseph, and then it'll be better for us. Um, people who, who operate under this mode of operation, they, they abuse any power or authority or influence that they have to accomplish their own personal agenda. Never happens in the world, right? Anybody have a job? You see this in the workplace all the time. I mean, it's like just there's an agenda and somebody has some authority, and when they have that authority, they're going to try to promote that agenda. I'm so sick of hearing about baseball strikes and stuff. I mean, just play baseball. I mean, quit arguing about Quit trying to promote your agenda. And think about the agenda of the world and what the world needs. Guys, that's what the brothers did. Like, they ganged up 11 on 1 and imposed their justice on Joseph. They took justice into their own hands 
and defined it by their own selfish agendas. And you know where that leads? Hey, if you're a student in the room, you're a kid, you're, just listen to me, okay? Jealousy and wanting someone else's stuff or wanting their life, wanting anything, anything that you're jealous about and you start, you decide that's the only thing that's important, you never outgrow that. It never gets easier if you give in to that stuff when you're little, you're going to give in to it when you're older. Guys, these brothers never had peace their whole life. Go to the end of Genesis chapter 50. Jacob finally dies. Joseph's already restored them. They're all rich. They all have everything they need. Jacob dies and immediately they go back to their guilt. Joseph's going to kill us now. They never had peace. If all you want is your agenda and you're willing to do anything to get it, you'll never have peace. But what about Joseph? Guys, just flip, flip side, there's no record of Joseph ever complaining. He trusted God in the moment, and he seemed to have peace all the time, no matter what his circumstance. See, his perspective was a kingdom perspective. One more passage of Scripture, Genesis chapter 45. This is what I, what I, where I told you we were a second ago when he reveals himself to his brothers this is how it went down. I'll start in verse 4, even though it might not be on the screen. So Joseph said to his brothers, come, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the, fam for the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Don't miss this, okay? Joseph said, number one, don't be angry at yourself because God sent me here before you, for you. It's, it's enough to say God did this. But for, then, for him to say, no, he sent me here for you to preserve for you a remnant on this earth. Does that sound like justice to you? Does that sound like justice? That's mercy. See, he had the power, he had the authority, he had the influence to impose justice. And he would have had every right to do it. But God's perspective is always for you. See, those people that we refuse to forgive, what if we had the perspective that I'm going to forgive you for you? Guys, it's, it's mind-blowing to think what he could have done, what I, what I would have done, what most of us probably would have done is to repay what had been done to him with, in like manner. But see, he didn't do that. He could have demanded justice, but he chose mercy. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 says this, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't want you to go through all these rituals, guys. I just... That's what God says He wants from us. 
He showed us mercy. He wants us to show mercy to others. Micah 6, 8, beautiful verse. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly before your God. You ever get confused about what to do? Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Because James chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Judgment is without mercy for who? For those who don't show mercy. Because there's so many people screaming in the streets right now wanting justice. And I want to scream back, you don't want justice. You want mercy. We all want mercy. Please, let's start asking for mercy and start being merciful and watch the waters just calm. Guys, that's, that's the job of the church. Not to throw gasoline on fires by drawing lines, but to say, hey, let's love like Jesus loved us because mercy, guys, can bring a family back together. Judgment never can. Mercy, I mean, I, you ever get heartbroken watching these parents of these of people that have been murdered, their children's been murdered, and, the, and then there's this long, drawn-out thing, and then finally, at the end of it, the conviction comes down, and then they say, now I can have peace. That's a horrible definition of peace. That's not peace at all. Guys, mercy can bring families back together that share the same father but have different mothers. If we don't believe that, then we don't believe the gospel. Because if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, new has come. Guys, may that be the heartbeat of the church today. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you just take this story that we've heard forever, bring some truths out of it that change the way we view the world around us, and let us just love people well. Be willing to maybe unlearn some stuff, some, some things that our paths are deeply rooted in. And just embrace the fact that your end game is people from every tribe and tongue and nation in unison worshiping you around the same throne. Not in different sections of heaven. At least that's not the way I see it. I believe you're doing something in this world. I believe you want us to be a part of it. I believe you want us to be a part of the solution. I pray that you show us how. Talked a couple of weeks ago about, about waiting until you say shout before we shout. So that when we say it, it matters. God, let us say something that matters. Let us live in such a way that we choose mercy and trust you for all the justice. We're going to wait for you now. We just want to wait and, and, and have our hope built up that you're going to fight this battle. And there will be a day when we celebrate. We long for that day, Jesus. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.